I get so discouraged that nobody ever asked me to sing. <laughs> I go all over the country, nobody ever asked me to sing. You don't know what you're missing. Will you sing for us? <laughs> <laughs> go on, <laughs> sit down. <laughs> Now am I geared up, apparatus and so on? All the gears I can think of, all right. In the seventh chapter of John, some verses stand out particularly. They're familiar, I'm sure. 37, to begin with, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture said, from within him shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was at the Feast of Tabernacles. It was an all the feast, you might say, rolled into one. It was the big day of the year, religiously, for the people of that time, among the people where our Lord worked. And they commemorated the deliverance in the wilderness, water from the rock, and so on. The priest would go to the pool of Siloam and fill a pitcher with water and come back down to the temple followed by the happy throng and pour out the water while they sang with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. It was such a hilarious occasion that it was said whoever has not witnessed it has never seen rejoicing at all. On this occasion and of course, all of this singing was religious and really all of it in one way or another revolved around the expected and hoped for a Messiah. But on this occasion, the Messiah was there, but not many people paid any attention to it. Strange picture it must have made. There he stood, and uh, as he watched this demonstration, he was impressed only by the futility of the whole business. Why didn't he say, oh, this is grand to see all this religious celebration. I'm so glad to be with you, all that sort of thing. Uh, the multitude really went into raptures about it religiously. And uh, yet Jesus knew a lot of it was pious humbug because they all went home after it was over with the same old headaches and the same old heartaches, the same old doubts and fears. And uh, it looked like a great success, the talk of the air. Are you going up to the Feast of Tabernacles? For Jesus stood and cried out loud. Now that wasn't his way of speaking because the Bible said wasn't his usual style. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. But this time, he raised his voice 
He cried out, if anybody here is thirsty. Water was the main interest at that moment. Let him come to me. He's standing tonight, beloved, in the lost world, dying of soul starvation. In the midst of all its celebrations and heart thirst and hunger for real spiritual sustenance. Uh, we're smart. Scientifically, we're the smartest we've ever been. It was my rare opportunity. In fact, it was the only time. Two weeks ago, I was sitting at the table, a rather shy gentleman. His wife came up and asked, may we sit with you? I said, yes. It took me half an hour after that to find out who they were and what it was all about. He was one of the three men who went to the moon. Well, you just don't sit beside celebrities like that in the day of the week. And I got to talking right off when I found that out. It was so shy he was. And I tried to get him to tell me what was the most fascinating moment of all that. And the sum and substance of his reply was, when I stood there and watched the old earth receding, getting farther and farther away and it wasn't any bigger than a dime, and every living being in existence was on it, now there you stand and see it that little, and you've got this little apparatus that you got there on, you begin wondering whether it'll ever get you back. But he said he was impressed with the greatness of Almighty God as never before. And of course, they, they're, the wife and himself, they've turned to the Lord in a very deep and real way, and they gave me the books they've written, and fascinating they are. But it was a marvelous thing when they went there. And uh, the remarkable thing is, though, when you compare it with some other things we're doing, uh, when they first went up on the first uh, of the flights, that direction, I was in meetings in Jacksonville, and I saw them go up uh, TV, sat there in my room in the motel, headed for outer space and, and the moon, and I could look out the window into a park that I didn't dare to walk, in for fear I'd be clobbered if I dared to get out there. Smart enough to walk on the moon, but not safe enough to walk in the park. That's America. I think that sizes it up. It's a strange situation. Why, when I grew up out there in the country, between Hickory and Shelby, not too far from here, and we had our revival at Old Corinth Church, we never thought about locking up the house when we went to church. Nobody's going to bother it. You don't feel that way about it now. Uh, I, was in the, I live in motels, and I was one the other day where they had the telephone screwed to the table. <laughs> They're taking no chances around there. You've heard of that woman who said, what in the world are we coming to? Somebody broke in my house, stole all my holiday in towels. <laughs> it's a mess. It's all mixed up. 
And somebody wrote about the World's Fair and said the World's Fair was a demonstration of the advances of science and their application through industry to the creation of a larger life for all mankind. Said we could see the forward movements of science and their application through industry, but we looked in vain for the larger life for all mankind. That's where we are now. Uh, you see, uh, Ephesus has left its first love. Pergamos and Thyatira gone all out for Balaam and Jezebel. Sardis, the living faith of the dead, has become the dead faith of the living. Laodicea, we ought to remember that Jesus said, he likes a cold church more than he does a warm one. Did you re realize that? He prefers a cold church to a warm one. I would there were cold or boiling. That's what zealous means. But not lukewarm. Sometimes in the restaurant, the waitress comes up and says, may I warm up your coffee? And you know how it is. Tepid, but now half of it. And I said, no, pour this out and let's start over. I don't want any Laodicean coffee. <laughs> Well, she probably didn't know what Laodicean was, but I'm kind of funny about that. But the Lord doesn't like that kind of church. He said, you make me sick. Let's get it to go. Isn't an elegant phrase that he used? I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. You know what that is. And it's churches that neither are cold nor hot, neither good nor bad, just so-so. Never did we have more than we have now. Oh, we're so afraid of a little while. What are you talking about? Need a little more Methodism. I agree with you. I mean the old-fashioned kind. I tell the Baptists, I said, we've just about worn ourselves out rededicating. <laughs> Give us half a chance. We'll come trotting down the aisle to rededicate. <laughs> And I can't see the demands too much. And I've been watching Baptists a long time. And if you say a word about the Holy Spirit, someone, now I don't want to get into all this Holy Spirit business. Well, they'd better. They're so afraid they'll get out on a limb while we're not even getting up the tree. <laughs> and one of our leading men a generation ago of our Southern Baptist said, it grieves me that there is not a separate article in the Baptist Statement of Faith about the Holy Spirit. And that is indicative of something. You wonder just exactly what. It's a strange time. I sat in my, uh, when I was pastor in old Charleston, wonderful old church that had a new lease on life. There's a new book about it come out now titled The First 300 Years. That's a long time to be around. I wasn't pastor at the beginning of that <laughs> church, but they've been there quite a while. And I sat there, I, I got burdened after I'd been there a while about whatever is meant by being filled with the Holy Spirit. I didn't want to talk to preachers about it. I didn't want to talk to the members about it. I could talk to the Lord about it. I get out and walk on the ocean beach over there where I could pray out loud. And I was bothered. 
sat in that old room in the old St. John Hotel, prayed about it, and uh, a good old soul in city, Granny Russell, gave me a book, The Deeper Experiences of Famous Christians. And I read it, I couldn't go to sleep if I had read it, and then I couldn't go to sleep because I had read it. And I read about how God visited these men. Every one of them had something corresponding to, you want to call it anything you please, I'm not going to argue tonight about that. But they had, not because you should have to have it, or because it's on any written program, but a subsequent deepening experience of the Lord. God led me to these very verses, John 7, 37, 39. I didn't dream any dreams, have any unusual feelings, anything like that. But just as I had come to Jesus years before as a little boy and trusted him as Savior, I felt that I could come to him and ask to be filled with the Spirit. That's what he said here. Let him come, let him drink. That's the receiving. And it made a difference. And don't get to worrying about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and is that the same thing as the filling of the Spirit? No. Uh, we get into all that and don't have any kind of an experience of the Holy Spirit if we're not careful. Thank God that it's possible to be filled with the Spirit. And I find over in that classic passage in Isaiah where we're told about the road to revival, true revival, you know what Isaiah 64 says? I can't read it all. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down at the mountains and the light flow down at thy presence, and so on. Then he gives three reasons why we're not having revival. We have sinned, verse 5. Verse 6, our righteousnesses, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Our self-righteousness and there is none that stirreth up himself to take hold of God, our sluggishness. That's what holds back revival. He didn't say there's none that uh, takes hold of God, that stirreth up himself. We've got plenty of people stirring themselves up. There's more religious activism in our churches today. In some of them, I've seen a long time, they've got a program that chokes any true vitality out of them to begin with. Because if you tend all those things on that schedule, you wouldn't have any time left to pray or whatever else. And they're stirring themselves up all the time, any kind of a way to get stimulated religiously. No, no. They're not doing it to get hold of God. Do it because they think it'll make them feel better and so on. God, it says. Thirst, if any man thirst is the first requirement here, and that that indicates desperation, beloved. Thirsting is not just casually wanting a drink of water. Thirst really is getting so desperate for a drink of water, it's all you can think about. And this holy thirst for God is getting to the place where nothing else will satisfy you. All the way through the Bible, the great heroes of faith, where every one of them desperate people, Daniel and the lions and the Hebrew children, Elijah and Isaiah and Mary and Martha and Jairus and the disciples in the storm and, and Jacob at Jabbok and Moses at the Red Sea and David and Goliath and the four lepers in the gate of Samaria. And so it goes, every one of them on the spot, desperate. Something had to happen pretty quickly in most cases. Now Jesus made it so simple here. Thirsting, coming, drinking, believing, overflowing. 
thirsty and then coming to him. And then that's where faith comes in, receives just like he did for salvation. According to God's word, according to God's will, according to your need and according to your faith. God will answer any prayer that's according to those four. You can't miss. He said, according to his word, his will, my need, and my faith. Now you get those four in a row and you're ready to pray with true confidence. But it says here in John 7:39 that Jesus was not yet glorified, the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus is not yet glorified. Of course, that means with reference to his death and resurrection and Pentecost and all. But one reason the Spirit's not given to some people today is because they wouldn't glorify Jesus with him if they had that yet. The purpose of your life must be to glorify Jesus Christ. He's not given the Holy Spirit just to attract attention, really. God help us to have all our church affairs, not like this great crowd at the feast. This is one of the biggest crowds you could get together for a, a religious meeting, and yet it meant nothing. And I get some of them to this day that I don't think mean much. And some great church gatherings. And I watch the politicking. And uh, some of the brethren will be together, you know, head to head over here. Uh, you, you say a good word for me and I'll say a good word for you. Well, you've got to know the key men. You don't have to know the key men. All you need to know is the keeper of the keys. He's got all of them right on his belt, and he can open any door needs opening, if you know him. And uh, there's an awful lot of politicking goes on in the name of religion today, and I don't think God's pleased with a lot of that. It doesn't get us anywhere much. Statistics, somebody said there are three kinds of lies, black lies, white lies, and statistics. <laughs> I rather agree with that. Oh... That black preacher, Dr. Hill from uh, California. I love to hear that big preacher preach. And he preached to preachers. He said, when I get here with all you theologians, I'm glad I'm, glad I'm majoring on agriculture. <laughs> and then he really went to town. He said, you Southern Baptists, he said, you've got a lot of stuff. Said he could just get it on fire. <laughs> That's right. We got a lot of stuff that's not on fire. And it needs to get on fire and your, your crowd too, Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever, you got stuff. But it needs to be catch on fire. And I, I don't mean that we shouldn't have hilarious meetings the right kind. There are three places, at least there in the Bible, where they, they had the musical, hilarious time when David danced before the ark. Danced before the ark. And that wife that he'd married was anything but joyous. She said, you certainly are a pretty sight out there and bouncing around over the place. And that's what the world always says when a Christian gets happy. And then... Uh, you remember the time when Jesus cleansed the temple of little children. This time we're singing, Hosanna, waving palm branches. And guess who didn't like that? The religious people. These kids making too much racket here. I've heard that in church. You can do it, of course, the wrong way. I know that. But 
Here the folks who read the Bible prayed in public were tithers, all of them, tried to win others, live moral lives, and went to hell, but they put Jesus Christ on the cross, really. That was the Sadducees, the religious element of his day. These kids, these children, Jesus said, why, the rocks, you know, he said one time, if they got caught, the rocks would cry out. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou was perfect in praise. We ought to get happy before God. And so the invitation of Jesus here, uh, there was a lot of discussion that day about him. And it tells you in that same uh, 7th chapter of John, they started talking about him. Some said, well, he's the Messiah. I said, no, I don't think so. He didn't come from the right part of the country. And there was a division among the people. Some would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. And the officers came along and they said, haven't you brought him? And the officers said, never a man spoke like him. And then answered him, the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers believed on him? But this people don't, they don't know anything. And then Nicodemus spoke in and said, well, let's give him a fair trial. All kinds of ideas about Jesus, we still have them. There's talking like that to this day. Have you noticed the sad way this chapter ends? But they said, why, he's, he's from the wrong place. Uh, search and find out, for out of Galilee riseth no prophet. And every man went to his own house, and they're doing it today, walking off from Jesus, arguing about him. Is he the one? And, well, he doesn't fit this picture. He doesn't fit that picture. But the first verse of the next chapter is the sad chapter. Jesus went out alone to the Mount of Olives still doing it in many and many a situation. It's only the thirsty who are invited here. Dear friend, have you ever thirsted, desperately desired what you lack in this matter? Uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's there for us. Jesus has made it very simple. And uh, I thank God that uh, he said, come. He always was inviting you. Uh, thirst, come, drink, receive. That's what that means. James says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. I believe that if you mean business with God and everything's right between you and God and you and people, You've got a right to get down on your knees and ask God for what you need and get up and believe you got it. That's what it says. Dr. Torrey said that word, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, you shall have them. Believe that you've uh, got it and you'll get it. He said that the grammar didn't come out right on that until I got to the place where I said, forget the grammar, I'm going to go ahead and believe it anyhow. We have to reach that place. We need wisdom as never before. There's only one way to get it. The children of Issachar in the Old Testament had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. If there's anything church people today need, it's to understand a knowledge of the times, know an understanding of the times that produced a knowledge, not a knowledge that produced understanding. That's where we get it backwards. We read up a lot on the time we don't know any more than we did. Understanding the times in the light of God's word and the light of prayer. And then we know what Israel and the application is what God's people ought to do. Now that's the way. But we must come in faith believing.
I've had some encouraging words here in the last 24 hours from some dear people about last night. And how you went back to your room and soaked that miracle that you hadn't had. I wonder if tonight, if you wonder why your life is so barren of overflowing with blessing. Are you, uh, you know, we used to have an old song, I'm forever blowing bubbles, pretty bubbles in the air, they fly so high and nearly reach the sky. Then like my dreams, they fade and die, fortune's always hiding. I've looked everywhere, I'm forever blowing bubbles, pretty bubbles in the air. I said, Lord, I don't want to be a bubble blower, I want to be a blessing bringer. Now you can do that, I don't care what you do for a living. Some of the greatest blessing bringers in this world are the commonest, plainest people with some ordinary job. Preachers got too much theology sometimes for all that. Some folks don't know any better than to be usable in the hands of Almighty God. Take him up on it. Come to Jesus in the fortune of a child, in the fashion of a child. The sweetest illustration I've heard lately is the simplest about faith. It was dry weather and the crops were in danger and the church put on a prayer meeting. Let's meet and pray for rain. Quite a group assembly. And only one little bitty girl brought a little bitty umbrella. And the lady said, well, honey, why are you bringing that umbrella? Not a cloud in the sky. And they were there to pray for clouds in the sky. And she said, well, we're going to pray for rain. If God sends rain, we'll need umbrellas. Now that's faith. That's simple faith. I want to be more like that. Believe that you've received it, and you will have it. I didn't want to preach a long sermon tonight because it's not sermons we need. It's do something about the sermons we've already heard. And there's not a person in here tonight, if your life is barren, if you're not overflowing to the blessing to others, come and drink and keep on drinking and the blessing will fall. And don't you watch the blessing. You let God keep the books. He knows who does what as a result of it. I thank God for every blessed letter that I get and I'm having the picnic of my life. And from calls and letters. And folks feel like I've been on the road this long, I ought to have something to say. It'd be beneficial. But you can, I know older people that haven't been to all these schools on how-to, haven't read all the how-to books. We've never had as many how-to books in our history as we've got today, but you don't know any more about how-to after you've read most of them than when you started. Go to Jesus and mean business, and you'll see things begin to happen. I want my dear friend Bill to sing a song now that's charmed me from the beginning, he and Dick Reed and uh, Moody Keswick in St. Petersburg are two that I always, when I get to either of these places, I ask them to sing it. Bill, I want you to come up and sing that one about those that are thirsty. And it'll tell you what to do too. Don't listen just as to a song, but listen for a word from God because you'll get it. 
And then, dear Brother Bill, you just dismiss them tonight. Let them go and go maybe to some place of quietness and have opportunity and say, Lord, if I haven't got a thirst creating my soul a burning thirst for God's best, help me to get to Jesus, to drink, to believe, and to overflow.